Good Friday is an annual reminder for us of the darkest day of our faith, the darkest day in history. But before the sky grew dark that day, the feeling, the heaviness of darkness was already very clearly on the face of Jesus. See, by the time he already had, by this time he already had a crown of thorns on his head. He had been beaten and was bloody. He was bruised and fulfilled the words of Isaiah that said we would not have recognized him. Nothing of beauty, of majesty was about him. And in fact, what Isaiah prepared us for was the unthinkable, that, that seeing him, even before the sky grew dark, that seeing Jesus in this way, we would have hid our faces. We'd want to turn away. I mean, isn't that the thing about suffering? Is that when it gets at its worst, its scariest, its darkest, we want to turn away. It's this physical reflex to look the other way. See, the sky hasn't grown dark yet, but it will. And when it does, we will have an urge to want to move quickly. We will have an urge to want to remove ourselves. We'll have an urge to just want to get to three days later. But the sky will grow dark and it has to grow dark. This is the setting in Luke's gospel as we come to Luke chapter 23. The sky is not yet dark, but Jesus is unrecognizable. The darkness is very clearly heavy upon him. And we'll pick up the story in Luke 23, verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things, do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Verse 32 Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they were crucified, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. Verse 49, And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. A lot happens really quickly in this account of Luke's. We're introduced to a lot of different people and a number of different things take place within this particular portion of scripture. A man named Simon picks up Jesus' cross, Jesus' body unable to continue to carry it. Women are wailing and and lamenting. Some believe even placed there intentionally to weep and wail and, and, and moan in such a way. Um, and Jesus responds to them, don't, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Um, we see soldiers and leading officials mocking Jesus, disparaging Jesus. And, and Jesus, in the middle of this, says, Father, forgive them. And then we have these two uh, criminals, one on either side of Jesus, one obviously believing, the other seemingly disbelieving in who Jesus is and what he is able to do. And, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then we almost zoom in at a single story, this, this centurion who sees Jesus and has observed all of this and says, certainly this man was innocent. All of these individuals are directly involved within the narrative, but it's this last group that is striking to us. All of Jesus' acquaintances And Luke says, the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. See, the thing that everyone up until this group had in common was that they didn't know Jesus. They may have been associated with him, connected to him, but they weren't personal friends. They they didn't have an intimate relationship. But Jesus' acquaintances, those who followed him from Galilee and these women stood at a distance and watched in the dark. They watched Jesus suffer. Luke has actually been describing or weaving these women in particular throughout his gospel account. He first introduces us to them in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and uh, and many others who provided for them out of their means. The other gospel writers and even Luke's own telling will add to this collection of women, Mary, Jesus' mother, and Salome, her... um, her sister. And so you have this picture of a number of different women and constantly Luke is saying, and other women. So there's this group of women who are constantly around Jesus and the disciples. And Luke is always remembering to remind us of them. 
They are integral to the story, intricately connected to the story of Jesus and his disciples. And notice, they've all been impacted by Jesus. Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her. History's not been kind to her in the way that they have that, that many historians have read into those seven demons. But what we know most about Mary Magdalene is that she was a beneficiary of incredible grace and power of Jesus. Many others were sick and Jesus healed them. And so their response to the generosity and power of Jesus is to care for and serve him. They respond in generosity to the generosity of their Lord. It's these women who are standing there in the dark watching all of this. They know this man. They've walked with this man. They have seen him heal not just the sick, but they themselves as the sick. They've seen him cast out demons from their own bodies. So why in the world would they stand and watch their friend suffer? How in the world could they watch such evil, such pain, such devastation. Standing in the dark, they teach us a great deal. Good Friday, in fact, I think has an answer for one of Christianity's greatest contentions, a contention that many believe keep them from believing in the God of the Bible. Historically, it goes something like, how could a good and loving God allow such suffering? And some have alleviated that tension by simply saying that God is a fiction. He's a myth. Others have tried to sort of settle it by saying that suffering itself and the physical world is, is mythical and fictional and not real. But Jesus offers a different way entirely. And it's this different way that these women had experienced. This is what's holding them there. See, some of those women, no doubt, may have been Mary and Martha. And if it wasn't them, then certainly these women knew of this story. These women were impacted by the story. and It would have been fresh on their minds. See, Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. Jesus loved them. He loved their family. And in fact, when Jesus heard about it, John reminds us as he records it in John 11 that Jesus loved them. But Jesus hears about Lazarus, that he is sick. And instead of healing him from long distance, which he is able to do, and instead of going to him immediately, which he had done for strangers, Jesus waits two days. He waits two days before he goes to him. He soon, as John uh, retells the story, goes and Martha comes out, there's already a funeral procession, there's already lamenting, there's already sackcloth and ashes, there's already grieving, there's already mourning. Mary and Martha are devastated, their brother has been dead for two days, and here comes Jesus. Martha's immediate response is probably what a lot of our responses would have been like. Why didn't you come right away? Why didn't you heal him right away? What took you so long? Where have you been? See, the women standing by the cross or really at a distance watching all of these things would soon be the women who knew where Jesus was going to be buried. They were going to be the women who prepared ointments and spices to inter the body. They would soon care for and preserve the body of Christ. And yet here they are in the dark. Not only that, but they would soon, just three days later, be the first witnesses of the empty tomb. They 
They, they would soon have an interaction with an angel and speak directly to the messenger of God that, that Jesus is not here, but he is risen. They would soon lay eyes on the resurrected Christ. They would soon proclaim the gospel for the very first time to the disciples. They would soon experience life itself, and yet they stand in the dark. They suffer. They watch their friend, their Lord, their son suffer. This is the contention many of us have. This is the contention of Mary and Martha. What took you so long? Where were you? Suffering, we presume, disproves Jesus, disproves the God of the Bible, disproves Christianity. After all, how could there be a good and loving God and allow a virus that you and I are seeing take control of our world. How could God let that happen? How could so many go hungry on a regular basis, day in and day out? How could genocide take place like that in Rwanda? How could millions of unborn children be murdered every single year? How could cancer steal those closest to us if God was real? See, it's that darkness, the sky growing dark, whether it's a virus or death or seeing your friend on a cross suffering, it's that darkness that speaks that question to us. Where is God? Jesus, why didn't you come sooner? In John 11, Jesus responds to Martha and asks her, don't you believe in the resurrection? And she responds and says, of course, I believe in the resurrection, as many first century Jews did. But then Jesus responds to her affirmation by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe is what he then asks her. Not do you believe that resurrection is possible. He looks right at his friend and he says, do you believe in me? Do you believe I am your life? See, what Rebecca McLaughlin in her fantastic book on the story, or on the chapter on the story of Lazarus, helps us to understand is that Jesus was not asking Martha if she believed that life would come one day. He was asking Martha, do you believe I am your life right now? As if that wasn't enough, Martha believes But in just the next scene, we get one of the most brilliant and cosmically beautiful pictures of the Son of God we find anywhere in Scripture. See, after Martha affirms that Jesus is her life, that she sees even in the darkness who her Lord is, she sees Jesus. In the middle of that, knowing that he is soon about to raise Lazarus from the dead, it's right there that John tells us Jesus weeps. He cries for his friend. He cries for his sisters. He weeps. See, suffering is not God proving a point. Suffering is God identifying with us. Suffering does not then disprove Christianity. Suffering is Christianity. Suffering gives us a revelation of what Christianity actually is. 
You see, it is on the cross where the garden and the new city are connected. It is on the cross where our sorrow and God's power is made plain. It's on the cross where we see all of the promises of God in the past and all of the promises of God in the future come together. It's in the cross, not where Christianity has its greatest problem, but where Christianity is defined. That suffering takes place and on the shoulders of a suffering servant, all of suffering is bear for you and for me. He weeps for us there. You see, these women are standing watching their friend suffer because for his entire life, he drew near to them in their suffering. See, when we know that Jesus is our life, we don't turn away. We walk even in the valley of the shadow of death and we fear no evil because our life, our God is with us. Good Friday gives us the most vivid picture of why suffering persists because of sin, because of chaos and separation and shame and anguish in our own hearts and in our world. And yet suffering also reveals to us the spectacular spectacular grace and affection of our God. You see, Good Friday proves to us the affection of God. That God loves you. That he is willing to endure such suffering for you and for me. And if I'm honest with you, I don't always believe that. It's literally like one of the most basic things we ever hear about God, but that he loves us. And it's one of the things that I disbelieve every single day. In fact, just this week, as I met with my counselor, she helped me to understand that I don't really believe that God loves me all the time. See, I think that God loves me because I do things for him. Are you with me in this? That, that one of the things I, I wanted to talk with my counselor about my anger, that with all these COVID-19 restrictions and working from home, I've been really angry. That even the most minor inconvenience that takes me off a path of productivity gets me so angry because I believe that whatever I produce is the reason why God loves me. See, I think that I'm, I'm loved by God because I produce something that is valuable or that he loves, not because he just loves me. This is what Good Friday dispels for us. This is what Good Friday shatters for us. See, it is on the cross that Jesus Christ announces, displays, demonstrates for all of time that he loves you because you are his. He loves us because we are his. He loves his people because we are his people. And therefore, he is willing to suffer for us to die that we might be his people. This is why these women stay in the darkness. This is why these women watch their friend suffer because their friend is suffering for them. They've never seen a love like this. See, we may be caught right now in the middle of some darkness and to be sure resurrection is coming. One day all shall be Well, but we have to look at Good Friday. 
we have to look at this day where the sky grew dark because of what God accomplished in the dark. What he accomplished in the dark made the sunrise possible. What he accomplished on this dark Friday made resurrection possible and meaningful and powerful. Because of what God did in the dark, you and I can have hope and know that we are loved even on the darkest of our days. So don't go anywhere. Don't rush to the next thing. Don't rush to Easter in your minds. Don't move to the next chapter. Don't hurry to happiness. Let your soul settle on the day that the sky grew dark, that your soul may be found in the God who loves you. Heavenly Father, help us in this. Help us to believe this, that you love us, that you are our life, that you, your son, endured such opposition from sinful men because of the joy that was set before him. Oh God, be glorified in this. We honor you in this. We weep and lament in this that it was my sin that put him there. But God, we are overwhelmed and hopeful that it was his affection, his love for his people and the glory of you, his heavenly father, that led him to obediently take our place on the cross. And so, Father, we thank you for the forgiveness. We thank you for this promise of paradise. We thank you for the joy. We thank you for this love. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen.